Welcome to Methodical, a podcast about Breaking Bad. My name is Sabrina. And I'm Dan. And today we are here to talk about Season 1, Episode 2, Cats in the Bag. So how did you feel about this one? I definitely liked this more than the pilot, and I think that this is because it had less to do. It was a very plot-driven episode. While there are some themes going on, I don't feel like they're as heavy-handed. And also, they didn't feel obligated to use all of the actors like Hank and Marie. There was no reason to include them in the episode, so they weren't there. And I think that that's great. Also, I want to start taking note of who is writing and who is directing the episodes. So this episode was written by Vince Gilligan, directed by Adam Bernstein. Okay. Season 1, episode 1 was directed and written by Vince Gilligan, being the creator of the show. That makes sense. Vince Gilligan is going to write the next two episodes, and Adam Bernstein's also going to direct the next episodes, so we can keep track of their signatures, potentially, as writers and directors. And I think that this is something that we should take note of for the rest of the series. Yeah. Who writes and who directs, and whether or not they have a signature. Or if this show is so seamless that we won't really be able to notice. I'd like to see. Yeah. I think it's good that uh, this episode and the next episode were both written by Vince Gilligan and also both directed by the same person, because there's there's a lot of uh, tying together of this episode and the next one. Yeah, I mean, they're, it's a, essentially a two-part episode. Right. Yeah, I really enjoyed this episode as well. I love any episode that just gives us a whole lot of Walt and Jesse and the development of their relationship. And this is really the first time we get to see pretty much just them the whole episode. Yeah. There's a little bit of other outside stuff here and there, but there's just a whole lot of that relationship starting to flesh itself out. And they're finding out how to deal with each other and we're getting a really clear picture of what this partnership is going to be like. Yeah, I love I love Walt and Jesse together. They're what I find the most interesting about basically any part of the show. And it I definitely mean. evolves a lot. We can even see this evolution from last episode to this episode and how their dynamic is changing. And also I really like the fact that the characters definitely feel much more like themselves. Like Walt not as likable in this episode. Jesse, much more likable in this episode. I'm really liking this Jesse. I mean, I like his stupidity. There's something charming about it. I love his sarcasm. There's something really charming about that. I am very biased when it comes to Jesse, but I just love him a lot. And he's much more lovable in this episode than he was in the last. So now we are going to get into the episode. So we begin this episode pretty much immediately after we left the last episode. We skip most of the actual sex part, but we get there right at the end. (laughs) And Walt gets up. He's very sweaty, coughing, really not in the best health, and walks straight into the bathroom. Yeah, and Skylar doesn't really find out what's going on with him. He doesn't say anything. I think that's super weird. I feel like that is kind of out of character. I don't know. That's a That was a beat that I just found really weird and like it didn't fit, was that she didn't check on him. She didn't ask why he was in there. She just leaves him there until morning. And that feels very out of character to me. Like, I know it was a weird circumstance, but basically under any circumstance, if your partner gets up and goes to the bathroom in the middle of the night and then never comes back... I would be concerned. Yeah, if if she's being portrayed, at least as she was in the first episode, and a fair bit in this one as well, as sort of the nagging, worrying wife, she'd want to know where you went. I don't even think that's a source of nagging, though. I think that's a source of care. Yeah. Because you know that she cares about him. She might not always show it, and she might not treat him super, super kindly all the time, but... I think of it as not nagging. I think of it much more as an, as a source of concern. Like, she's worried about him. Well, yeah, she, she worries a lot about him. As it is made clear in this episode, for sure, she worries about what's going on with him. And, and that's something that I think she would follow up on. Yeah, so that was weird. Anyway, moving on. But we uh, take a time jump back to 12 hours before to see how Walt and Jesse got from being in the ditch to him getting back home. Uh, after the fire trucks and everything go past, Walter goes and collects his belongings and he finds the tape and he destroys it. That message to his family, it's not necessary anymore to him. And then he and Jesse have to get the 
RV towed out of the ditch and we see them being just really terrible, terrible criminals and terrible liars. It's just a really awkward scene where, yeah, Walter is over embellishing all of these lies about how they got there and what happened and why he's not wearing pants and it's just like completely unbelievable. Yeah, that's a thing that I've noticed a lot with Walt is that a lot of the times he's a really, really bad liar. And I think it definitely is because he feels the need to explain every single detail and it just doesn't seem believable. Like the guy with the backhoe doesn't care why Walt's not wearing pants. He doesn't want to know, probably. He's good just not knowing, not asking about it, and he's fine with that. So well, that's, that's Walt's like signature lifestyle. He's terrible at it. Yeah, he overthinks all of those lies, and it's really interesting to see him being so terribly smart in just knowledge of how things are, and just being so dumb in knowing how to really function as a human being. So they get into the RV, they're trying to get it to start so that they can get the bodies out of there. They are just arguing and... and yeah, and it's, it reminded me a lot of a really cliche scene from a family vacation movie where the husband's driving the car and it won't start and then the wife's in the passenger seat and she's like, oh, you're going to flood it. And then he's like, no, I'm not. And, and it's just, it's very much, reminded me a lot of that because like I mentioned before, the RV is such a symbol of an American vacation and it stands for recreational vehicle and that's obviously what it's not being used for right now. But despite the fact that the circumstances are completely different, the scenario is exactly the same. Yeah, it's definitely interesting to see those roles sort of flipped oddly on their heads. But they finally get it started and there's a moment where there's a high five and there's much rejoicing and everything is great for them because they're going to be able to get on the road, but then one of the bodies in the back begins moving. Well, you missed another important detail, Dan. Oh, did I? You forgot to mention that during their fight, they they say that they're never going to work together again. This is the end for them. They're going to part ways after this is over. And that's really, really key because they both really want to get out, but it's not going to be that easy. Yes. So yeah, anyway, when they when they notice that the body's moving in the back, it's such a great shot because you see Walt and Jesse turn in their seats and look at the back of the vehicle and it's such a great homage to a horror movie which I found really really interesting that there are so many things that feel like a horror movie in this particularly a zombie movie which is not at all what this show's about and these references don't last in terms of the show's longevity this it's like this episode there's a lot of, of re referring to horror movie tropes, which I found very interesting. Yeah, there's a lot of those just, like, single one-off references in this episode. It definitely stands out in this episode, and I don't think that it really ever comes back. Yeah. But then as soon as we have that realization that one of those bodies is not actually fully dead, we cut straight to the credits. Right. And after the credits, we come back, and Walt is still in the bathroom. He is on the bathroom floor in the fetal position, naked, which I find very interesting. Lots of rebirth imagery that you right. can make assumptions about. And he gets up, goes to breakfast, and then proceeds to tell a very weird story at the breakfast table that's very uncomfortable and clearly is not entertaining his family. It's not insightful in any way. It's just weird, and it's like he needed an excuse to talk about teenage girl cleavage, which I thought was very weird. Well, and he, he prefaces it by saying, do you want to hear a funny story? And it's not it's not funny in there's, any way. There's nothing funny about it. It's a really uncomfortable story. And it's almost like he feels like he just has to break the silence somehow. It feels to me kind of like another one of his lies. Like, obviously, it, it could be a story that has truth in it, but it's like he's trying to cover for himself by just talking and talking and talking and not have to actually explain what happened. So it's kind of a similar technique where he's just going to keep talking and keep talking so nobody can ask any questions and, and he doesn't have to explain why he spent the night in the bathroom naked on the floor. There's a thing that happens in this episode a few times where both Walt and Jesse have these moments where it seems like they believe that everybody knows. And so they have to do something to cover up for it. It's almost a cliche in some of the ways that they think that everybody knows what they did and everybody's on to them and they're going to get caught and they have to 
cover up for themselves in awkward ways. I think I have a theory. Yeah. They really wanted an excuse for Walter Jr. to say the word Wonderbra. I hope so, because, man, that was just great delivery by Walter Jr. Because I just don't think there's any other point to the scene except for him to be telling a really weird story, very inappropriate, about talking about even the flat-chested girls at Cleavage. Like, thanks, Walt needed to know that. Anyway, during the story, there's a phone ringing, so obviously we're very distracted from his weird story because mm -hmm. the phone just rings and rings, and then finally it goes to the machine, and Jesse leaves a really fake-sounding AT&T voicemail, um, <laughs> which I really like, like him trying to sound professional, and that's what Jesse's idea of professionalism sounds like, which I think is really cute. So then Walt picks up, Jesse says that one of the guys isn't dead, and they don't know what to do about it, but Walt doesn't really want to discuss this in front of his wife and son, so he goes to work. They're going to handle it after school. However, Skylar, undeterred by Walt's lies, decides to star 69 Jesse or something? I don't know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's exactly what that is. <laughs> um, and here's Jesse's really unfortunate voicemail message. And this brings up sort of a point that I kind of forgot to mention about last episode, but applies to this episode as well, is that Jesse is really, in the early stages, painted as very comic reliefy. Like, he's just ridiculously stupid about some things. The whole first episode in The Cook, he's just messing around. And in this episode, he's just being kind of, a, like, he's a bad thug. He doesn't actually understand anything about drug culture, really. He kind of is this comical caricature of what maybe an adult thinks that drug culture is like. Well, do you think that they sacrificed developing... Jesse's character because they didn't think that they were going to keep him around? I think that maybe that is the case, at least in maybe the first couple episodes. Like, I don't know when they decided they wanted to keep on Aaron Paul as one of the main actors. I don't know when that decision was made because it wasn't made before he was hired and it wasn't made because he was hired. It was made sometime in the really early stages of the season, but maybe they just didn't feel like they needed to waste time developing Jesse's character because he was going to die. And that could be, and I think that I, I'm interested to see the moment where his character stops being that element of the show, and whether it's a gradual thing or if it's going to be a, a single moment that really flips everything. Well, I think it's really indicative of Jesse's innocence. Despite the fact that he's embedded somewhat into the drug world, he's still a very innocent person. Um, and I think that that comes through a lot in his naivety. So I think that that's really interesting, and I will be interested to see how his character continues to grow and change. I have an idea of where I feel like the catalyst is, but don't want to talk about that yet. But yeah, anyway, um, in case you don't know, Aaron Paul was not going to be one of the main characters of the show. They were going to kill Jesse in the first season, and then based on the chemistry, haha, between Walt and Jesse, they decided to keep him on, and it really makes the show, it makes it, the show wouldn't be Breaking Bad without Jesse, so. Yeah, yeah, I, I think that his ignorance and his innocence really does work for his development later on, so whether it was a conscious choice to not develop him because he was going to be written out of the show, or whether they just sort of made it work, I don't know, but the way he is now, I think, really is good for how he becomes later. It really makes a lot of sense, and it makes you want him to succeed more than you might otherwise. Right. So we'll, we'll have to see how that changes, but I just thought that was an interesting way to portray him in this episode. So now we cut to Walt in the classroom. And he's giving another lecture, so you know that there's going to be some pretty blunt telling us of some of the themes right now, because it's a really good way to do that. And he's talking about the word chiral. And he specifically says that he's talking about mo molecules and how they can be mirror images of one another, but they're not the same. He says, although they may look the same, they don't always behave the same. And I think that that's crucial and kind of ties back into the rebirth imagery we saw before, because Walt looks the same, but he may not behave the same. Yeah, this show is about duality, guys. Did you figure it out yet? Uh, a student raises his hand and asks, is this going to be on the murder? Um, which, you know, is just a really clear way of saying that Walt has some guilt yes, about that's... what's going on. It's on his conscience. It's in the forefront of his brain. That's obviously not what the student said. He clarifies that. Might be on the midterm, might not. Who knows? And we move on. We cut to Jesse digging through his aunt's old cosmetics drawer, um, and he pulls out some foundation to cover his black eye. I don't really know why he's so concerned about covering his black eye, because it's not like he's really 
out and about, but whatever. Um, and when he's in the bathroom, he hears a noise and sees that somebody has escaped from the RV. Yes, and this this is really where some more of the zombie imagery really starts to come in with the, hey, we have an open door to the RV. What could that mean? Jesse runs down with a baseball bat, which is one of the first weapons that people tend to grab in a zombie movie. There is torn duct tape all around. He walks into the RV and sees that, uh-oh, one of the bodies is gone, which is exactly what would happen. And then we get the shambling not-corpse of Crazy Eight almost being run over by Walter. Yeah, I wrote down uh, Crazy Eight is doing the zombie shamble. He is absolutely doing the zombie shamble, and that scene with Walter almost running over him is really, really similar to a shot from... I want to say it's the Zack Snyder Dawn of the Dead. I would have to look that up. But there is a zombie movie somewhere that has almost that exact shot. Of course, in that one, the zombie actually does get hit. But it's a very similar shot. Walter wheels back around to try and pick him up, I guess. Uh, And I think this is interesting, is that Crazy 8 is scared of Walter rather than the other way around. So that's kind of a nice, another flipping things on their head and moving things around. And then Crazy 8 runs into a tree. Oh, right. Crazy 8 walks straight into a tree. Runs, walks. He runs. 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 He's doing his best. It's like a zombie shamble run. Yeah, yeah it's, a, it's not a great run. Right after this, we cut back to Skylar, who has traced Jesse's phone number and finds Jesse's not MySpace page, whatever the fake MySpace they made uh, is. And it's really, really unfortunate, but I love what personal detail we get about Jesse from this page. We had to pause to get everything that we could out of it um, because there's some really good detail in here. First of all, we find out that Jesse plays the drums, which is interesting, um, in a band called Twat Hammer, spelled uh, T-W-A-U-G-H-T. Hammer. I'm fairly certain there is also an umlaut in there somewhere. There are two umlauts. Two umlauts? Yes. See, there you go. Um, And also, he plans to attend the wheelie school in Vegas this summer. Right. Which makes me wonder, what time of year are we in if it's not summer? Is it spring? Because it's like the middle of the school year. Kids are taking exams, so it's the middle of the semester. So is is it winter? Is it spring? I really have no idea, and they don't give you any context clues in terms of season. I have no clue what time of year it is. I also don't know how old this MySpace page is. My face, whatever they called it. I don't know how old that page is, because maybe it hasn't been updated in a long time. Uh, I'm not sure what the clues there might be. We do know that he went to DeVry... University. Which I don't feel like is consistent with Jesse's character at all. I'm just going to throw it out there. I don't feel like we ever get any evidence that Jesse went to DeVry University. I agree. Because do you need a high school diploma to attend DeVry? I'd have to look it up. Isn't that a university? I don't know. It's very weird because if you asked me, I would just say that Jesse probably didn't even graduate from high school. I don't think he did. I would be very surprised if he did because he didn't pass chemistry, so I don't know. Um, no. Anyway, this probably doesn't matter, but I'm skeptical about the fact that Jesse attended DeBry. Yeah. Um, also, we know that Jesse loves MILFs and that his grammar is not also his. It, he probably didn't pass English class. Let's just say that. You know what? Something that is great, though? What? So he says that he loves MILFs, 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 and MILFs or something like that. Yeah. He says MILFs four times mm-hmm. and utilizes the Oxford comma. Good job, Jesse. He does utilize the Oxford comma. He does. What? Okay, that's surprising. I think the other thing that's important to note is that in his education section, not only, of course, does he say the high school that he attended. What is it, J.P. Wynn? Yeah. Yeah. And DeVry University, but also the streets. Very important. Also, it's important to note that Skylar does not know what a MILF is. No clue, which is interesting. Maybe she was confused by the punctuation. It's possible. Now we cut to Walt and Jesse having apparently captured Crazy 8, and they are now in the basement. They use a bicycle lock to chain him to a support beam, and then they go back upstairs and then proceed to bicker about the mismanagement of their hostages. I think it is important to note what Jesse says is that perhaps Crazy 8 was faking being passed out, and 
biding his time and waiting to pounce. Those, I think, are interesting things to note. Uh, that This is how Jesse is reacting. He's kind of actually stupid about the quote-unquote thug life, but he actually does a few smart things in this moment where he's thinking, like, maybe we should not trust him. Right. He might be biding his time. He tries the lock on himself before he puts it around the pole and around Crazy Eight's neck, which actually is a really smart move to just, like, double-check. I think it's good... To, I think it's important to note that it's Jesse's idea to use the bike lock, mm-hmm. not Walt's. So he does have a good idea. He isn't completely stupid. And I think that um, their conversation inside later is interesting about Walt trying to rationalize Crazy Eight as a businessman and wondering if he'll be able to be be able to negotiate and be rational about this situation. And Jesse is not having it because that's really stupid and obviously Walt does not understand what's going on at all. Um, and also it's really distracting to look at Jesse's face because that foundation job was really bad. It's a little bit rough. He does not know how to color match. Uh, but yeah, this is just like, they have to work together on this. And Walter a couple of times says like, we, and we're in this 50-50 and all this other stuff. This is, they're back in the partnership. Like they yeah. wanted so badly to be out, but like they are so quick, or Walter especially is so quick to say that they are in this together. And I think it's because this, the circumstance is so terrible that neither of them can be responsible for the entire thing. Mm-hmm. Um, because if, if Walt leaves Jesse to uh, chemically disincorporate the body and murder Crazy Eight, it's a lot to leave up to one person. And he doesn't really trust Jesse, which is why I feel like he gets himself back into the partnership and says 50-50 because they both need to be responsible. It's like holding holding each other accountable for what comes later. Completely. So they both have to figure out who's going to do what. Who's going to murder Crazy Eight and who is going to disincorporate the bodies. Is that the right word? Disincorporate. Sure. Chemical disincorporation. Chemical disincorporation. I wrote it down. Neither of them want to do the first one. What, the murder? Yeah, nobody wants to do the murder. Nobody wants to do the murder at all. They would both much rather dissolve bodies. Yeah, you know you're in a really bad situation when dissolving the body is the more desirable option. (sighs) Yeah. So that's rough. An interesting thing is when it becomes decided that Walt is going to have to do the murder part. Well, I like that they flip a coin. They do flip a coin. Because it seems so... I don't know what the word I'm looking for is. It just seems so casual. Like... Who's going to murder? Who's going to chemically dissolve this body? Let's just flip a coin and let fate decide. I like that a lot, is letting fate decide, because that's what flipping a coin is, is Mm -hmm. is taking the decision-making out of your hands and putting it into fate, which I think is just super interesting and and will play a role. Fate does play a role. Mm -hmm. They flip a coin. It is decided that Jesse will do the dissolving and Walt will have to do the murder. And Jesse recommends some friendly advice that, hey, just think of it as you're doing him a favor because he's not in great shape, which I don't feel like is really helpful at all. No. Especially for Walter, who's not great with murder. He doesn't have a lot of practice. Yeah. All right, so Walt's drinking a beer at Jesse's table, gets a call from Jesse. Jesse is trying to buy a plastic container at the hardware store and doesn't feel confident in Walt's chemistry. He doesn't believe that the plastic will hold the acid, but in Jesse's defense, Walt also refuses to teach Jesse the chemistry and doesn't really explain why it will work, so Jesse just doesn't believe him because he just assumes the plastic is flimsy. Right, his explanation to Jesse when Jesse asks, what kind of thing did you want me to get? He says polyethylene, as though maybe Jesse would actually know what that is, when clearly he knows that Jesse doesn't know what that means. And so, yes, tell him exactly what he needs to get. But this is not a partnership that's really working on communication at this point. I love that Jesse tries to fit in the bin himself as a test to see if it'll fit a body. Well, and that's another thing is, uh, that's one of the moments where it seems like he believes that people know, is that he takes the bin and he moves it into an aisle away from the other people in the store so that he can see as though if he's trying to get into a bin, everyone will assume that, of course, he's going to dissolve a body in that bin. Right. Nobody knows that. Nobody would think that. 
That's no. crazy, Jesse. Well, and just based on the way that Jesse is dressed, you would just assume that he was goofing around. Right. Absolutely. So we go back to the house, and Walt is clearly trying to work up the nerve to murder someone. He experiments uh, stabbing the air with a knife, and then tries hitting the air with a hammer. And then he remembers the guns they're hiding, handles them for a minute, and then thinks about the plastic bag that the guns were inside. So he chooses the plastic bag as his murder weapon. And this is a moment that is... Seems to me to be a direct reference to Pulp Fiction. There's a moment in that movie where Bruce Willis is trying to find a weapon, and he goes through a few different things, going from sort of simple to the most complicated a katana that is on the highest shelf, so you get this really nice high angle shot looking down at the katana and then down at Bruce Willis. In this, there's a flip where it kind of goes sort of more complex to simple, and it also pulls the camera instead of up to down, which is a very, like, powerful shot, so the more sort of simple and methodical he gets, he becomes more empowered, uh, which is an interesting flip on that idea. Yeah. So, Walt creeps down the stairs, Crazy 8 is still attached to the support beam in the basement, and he knows what's up. He starts talking to Walt, and Walt loses his nerve. He can't stand the fact that Crazy 8 is conscious and can speak now. Um, so he goes back upstairs and he hears Crazy 8 ask him for some water. Walt goes to the fridge, pulls out a gallon of water, but then also makes Crazy 8 a sandwich. And I really like the the scene when he goes back down, he slides the two gallons of water across, across the floor and then he slides the sandwich across the floor and then he slides the bucket across the floor and then the toilet paper rolls into the shot. There's something really funny about that. I don't really know because it's kind of tragic, but there's something really funny about the toilet paper just kind of slowly rolling into the frame. And then last but not least is the hand sanitizer because you know, we're not monsters. Right. He's gotta clean his hands after he uses the bucket. Obviously. Um, it, it's very interesting that all those things get slid in from the same camera angle, and it all comes from off-screen. Mm -hmm. um, so you don't see Walt slide anything over. Uh, I don't know what that means. I don't either. Uh, I am sure that that angle means something in the way that that was shot, because, I don't know, maybe it sort of distances uh, Walt from all of this, this well, he, whole thing. He definitely wants to keep his distance mm -hmm. because he could just put them all right next to Crazy Eight, but he's also still pretty afraid of him. So yeah. he's he's sliding them all across the floor, and and I think it's really important to note here that Crazy Eight, victim that he is, still is picky enough to remove the crusts from his bologna sandwich, and then he asks about Emilio. And Walt just de declines to respond. I don't think he says anything in the basement, actually. He says nothing. Yeah. Then he just goes back upstairs. Walt is not great at giving direct answers. Walt hardly ever gives a direct answer. Well, and that'd be literally confronting the person that he is going to murder, mm -hmm. which is very hard for him. Mm -hmm. Because when it's just an unconscious body, it's a lot easier to think of it as not a person. But when he's moving, talking, eating... It's really, really hard to not see him as a person. Right. Uh, we get some more of Walter being bad at drugs. Yep. And Walter is trying desperately to roll a joint with Jesse's weed, and it takes him far too many tries. And Jesse gets home, notices that Walter is smoking up his weed. And at first he's stoked, because he's like, what are you smoking weed? And then he's like, wait, is that my weed, though? So he gets very possessive pretty quickly, and then comes the argument about how he hasn't actually killed anybody yet, and that's problematic. Right. Oh, and Jesse didn't buy anything at the store because he doesn't believe the chemistry. Well, he didn't think that a body would be able to fit in one of the bins. Right. And this is Walt's, like, first major smartass moment when he's like, you could have bought two bins. And then Jesse just doesn't, he doesn't even know what to say. He probably didn't think of that. Yeah, it's also a more morbid solution than Jesse was probably willing to go to immediately. Well, he doesn't want to think about the legs going in one and the rest going in another. Right. No, certainly not. Walt promises that he will do it tomorrow, but he needs to go to a doctor's appointment. Which um, I assumed was for him at first. Oh, yeah? Because he said, I have a doctor's appointment. Well, he probably doesn't want Jesse 
too much into his life. He doesn't want to yeah. be like, I'm going to go to my wife's ultrasound because that's too much information. Right. Um, but one thing that I don't like about this, and they, we don't touch on this at all, and I, I think that maybe we don't because it was 2008 when this was made, but Walt drives high, which is not okay. Um, like, we live in a state where weed is legal, and it's a DUI if you are caught driving while high. You're just as impaired as if you were driving while drunk. It's a different kind of impairment, but you're still impaired. And I think that it's, it's strange that he just willingly gets into the car as impaired as he is. I mean, I don't think that there are many implications to that, except for his recklessness. Yeah. But he goes, he drives high, and then he's probably pretty high still during the entire ultrasound. I would imagine so, yes. But just, just, it just taints the moment. It just, it's a corruption of the moment. Just like the title credits when the smoke comes in and, and corrupts the letters. It's, there's something less genuine and less sweet about the finding out of the sex of the baby when you know that he's high the whole time. Mm -hmm. And the, the moment's ruined anyway when Skylar asks about Jesse and then Walt says that Jesse is his weed dealer. The moment's kind of ruined then. And then Walt is just straight up an asshole. Yeah. I hate that moment so much when he's just like, you know what, can you crawl out of my ass? And it's just like, your wife is, you literally just had an ultrasound with your wife. And her mm -hmm. stomach is still exposed with the jelly stuff on it. And now you're going to start saying stuff like that? Nice. Nice, Walter. Yeah, that was very unfortunate I don't know if that's a product of him being high or if that's part of him being just kind of worse. Now, we're starting to get a lot less, hey, we like Walt. I think his inhibitions are definitely lowered because yeah. of being high. Um, so I think that that definitely plays into it. But that's just not a thing that you say, especially in this moment. So, I don't know, like, as nagging as Skylar has been... That's not the way to handle that situation. It's just not. And I think that a lot of the people that hate Skylar so much would probably really like this moment because it's like, oh yeah, Walt's finally standing up for himself. But I don't, I don't like it at all. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure that some of the people who watched the show, maybe even at first, uh, really considered this moment a triumph. Uh, but yeah, I think it's just a really terrible moment and not something you should ever say it's really, to your wife. It's really immature. So we cut away... Now Walt's in class proctoring an exam, and he's clearly losing his nerve because he kind of involuntarily just said stop. Yeah. Which is a very odd moment. I wonder what he's saying stop to. Yeah, I don't know why he said stop instead of something else. Well, we just don't know what's going through his brain, but he's obviously thinking about what's happening in his life and what's going on, and, and so I find, it an interesting, I find it an interesting word to say at that moment is, is the word stop, because he probably should stop right now and get out, but he can't. Right. Or he doesn't think he can. So then we get um, back to Jesse's house. He's watching The Three Stooges. I'm sure that means something. Maybe it just sort of is a nod to the fact that this is like kind of as wacky comedy as Breaking Bad is going to get. They're both a little bit stoogy, I think, in this whole episode. Neither of them quite know what's going on. And, yeah, it's, it's kind of all a mess. But Jesse is... Not sure what to do. He decides that it's probably time to move the body. Right. And I think the coughing is really getting to him. Mm-hmm. Because he can hear it coming from the basement. Yeah, he's he's starting to get a little bit crazy. A little bit druggy, too. Yeah, well, I mean, can you blame him? <laughs> I mean, I don't think meth is ever the answer, but if you're already doing meth anyway... Uh, anyway, so he goes to the RV and Emilio's getting a little ripe, so it's time to take care of that. He... He drags Emilio out and is about to pull him inside when Skylar shows up. Oh, good. I think the most important takeaway from this moment is that you shouldn't use slang just because someone else is using slang. No, that's a bad... <laughs> yeah, that's a bad, bad time there. Just, there's nothing intimidating about her saying, I'm Skylar White, yo. No, that's Skylar. Just don't... Do that. It's not good. Just because someone else is using slang doesn't mean you should yeah. use slang. We get some great dramatic irony from us knowing that she just thinks that he's selling marijuana. And, of course, Jesse thinks that Walter told her all about the meth and the murder and everything. Of course, he didn't. Because Walter, for all his faults, is not a crazy person. Or maybe he is. But the point is... Skylar leaves, thinking that Jesse is no longer going to sell marijuana to her husband 
Thank goodness. Jesse is really pissed that Walt has a brother-in-law who's in the DEA. Oh, right. I forgot. Yeah, that's a big... neglected to mention that. Yep. Forgot to mention, no, my brother could come down on us and everything really, really fast. Yeah. So anyway, now we cut to Jesse dragging Emilio up the stairs, and he's going to use the bathtub. Why didn't Walt think of that, stupid Walt? Stupid, stupid Walt. He's got a perfectly good tub. Yeah, I have a perfectly good bathtub. Body size, hello. And I love that Jesse is, like, yelling through his feelings. I mean, it's definitely, like, very... It's almost like a soliloquy. Like, he really needs to talk out his feelings. He does it in a Jesse way, though. Um, yeah. Like, lots of slang and lots of sarcasm. But it is almost like a soliloquy, because he's not talking to the body. He's just talking to the audience, which I think is interesting. Yeah, no, he's definitely soliloquizing pretty hard there. Yeah. Uh, which is a great moment. I also just love the shot from underneath the bathtub. I don't know what a shot from underneath something really means. Uh, it definitely is way more interesting than just shooting it sort of standard, though. And uh, I like I like that we see Emilio's cheek right up against the bottom of the bathtub because it's really like they're rubbing his face at us. Yeah. <laughs> like, look at this face. Yep. It's going to become goo really soon. And, of course, we see the guns go in as well. Jesse starts pouring the hydrofluoric acid in there. Probably doesn't smell great. Probably doesn't look great. And he is not happy to be doing it, but he's happy to have it done. And he and he smokes some more meth. Smokes more meth, because right that after. was a hard thing to do, and he's just sort of waiting for that body to dissolve all the way. Walt comes in. He's not happy that Jesse is using, but Jesse's really mad that not only has Walt not held up his end of the bargain, but he has a brother in the DEA and just never mentioned it. And uh, he talks about how Skylar came over and makes a really interesting point about how Walt doesn't wear the pants in the family, which I want to talk about for a minute if we can. Because I think it's a really interesting turn of phrase, and I cannot believe I did not think to mention it last episode, which was the episode that had all of the pants in it. But, like, in the pilot, Walt is literally not wearing the pants, because he's taking them off. He doesn't um, have pants on. And it's, it's, I think it's great, because it's, you know, the phrase wearing the pants implies, like, a man being the head of the house. Just because it comes from a time when women didn't used to wear pants, and it has those implications now. Like, it's about being a man being the man of the family, wearing the pants in the family. Mm -hmm. And the fact that he doesn't wear the pants is very emasculating. Because you don't want your wife to wear the pants in the family. That's, there's just something emasculating and wrong about that image for some reason. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's a really in interesting thing to think about. I don't know what I'm trying to say exactly. But I think that Walt's masculinity is called into question a lot of times. And I think that the term wearing the pants is very a very good way to describe that. Um, and, and the show takes that sometimes quite literally when Walt doesn't wear pants. So, Jesse tells Walt about his success with his side of the bargain, and Emilio mentions the bathtub, and Walt immediately realizes Jesse's mistake, goes to, I, I imagine he goes to go upstairs and look at what happened, but it's too late because the acid has already eaten through the entire bathtub and the floor of the bathroom, and we see the collapse right when they turn the corner. Gross valanche. Yeah, it's it's not good. No. Um, it's really graphic. It's I think I wasn't ready for that. I wasn't expecting the show to be so gruesome so quickly because, yeah, we have had some murder, but it was pretty tame. There wasn't a lot of gore involved. Mm -mm. This is a lot of gore. Yeah, this is Viscera, and especially it comes on the heels of, like we said, just about the funniest episode of the show. There is certainly the funniest one we've had so far where, like, they're just being idiots the whole time. And we we understand, like, right when... Walt understands that the tub was a bad idea. We understand what's going to happen. And then we actually see it, of course, and it's way less wacky and fun when we actually see what yeah, happens. It's pretty horrifying. It's awful. It's really terrible. And Walt is still being an asshole and wastes no time to rub Jesse's mistake in his face. Like, there's a time and place for that, and I feel like this is not the time to make a fuss about Jesse's mistake. Like... There's acid eroding the house. Maybe you should deal with that first. Yeah, I would go ahead and take care of that problem first and then use that as a teaching tool later. And then we actually cut out of the scene with the two of them, leaving them to whatever's going to happen next. Back to the desert. 
where there's some kids playing around and one of them finds a gas mask and puts it on. Interesting things to note about this one is the song during this is a song called The Hole by Glenn Phillips and not only being the uh, about a sort of random hole that appears talking about the hole that is now on the bottom of Jesse's bathroom but also it it has this line in the second verse says we sometimes stand and linger at the edge we like to dare each other how close we can get and there's a pact we've made if one should fall the other follows in this is a great song for that last scene it does sort of speak to the partnership and also the giant chasm of this terrible thing they've gotten themselves into um and i think also there's an interesting thing with the the kid putting the gas mask on i don't remember if that gas mask becomes important later it probably does but right now just in the context of of this episode sort of to your americana point it's it's a native american child mm -hmm. it's a girl you should say it's a girl right. it is a native american girl and the gas mask is sort of protection from poison, leading me to think that this person is getting prepared for something poisonous. America is about to be poisoned somehow. It's also a corruption of the environment, which was, you know, nature before and has now been corrupted by the RV and by the murders. And, you know, Walt left clear evidence behind in a moment of frustration in the last episode he threw the mask which was really his mistake and um so i do think that it's very symbolic of corruption and very symbolic of of change and i love the image of the little girl with the gas mask on because there's something really creepy about it like it it feels very apocalyptic and i don't know i don't think i have anything to really relate it to it reminded me of something maybe almost like uh, the little girls in Bioshock, but I'm not exactly sure. There's just something very creepy about a little girl having a gas mask on because it's like she needs the protection. And if a kid needs protection like that, then you know that something's gone wrong. Yeah, it, it's very Banksy, honestly. It is. It is very Banksy. Yeah. It's a great image there at the end of that episode and a great song to go along with it. And yeah, it just sort of ties everything up a little bit better. Anyway, so she puts the gas mask on, looks around, and we cut to credits. Yep. That's it. That's season one, episode two, Cats in the Bag. So what else do we need to talk about in this episode? Well, I think that first we should address the title, which is connected to the second half and the bags in the river. So the full line is Cats in the Bag and the Bags in the River. This is a direct quote from the 1957 film Sweet Smell of Success. I have not actually seen this movie, but it's a reassurance that a situation is being handled, um, which is interesting because obviously they're trying to handle this situation in this particular episode, and they're not doing it particularly well. Walt hasn't even handled his part of the bargain, and Jesse has handled it, but has handled it very poorly. Um, so it's an interesting title and also I think it is very it immediately calls to my mind the idea that the cat's out of the bag where obviously that means that something has been discovered something has been revealed that you were trying to keep inside and while I feel like there haven't been that many big reveals it's sort of like the beginnings of that because obviously Skylar hasn't found out what Walt's really up to but she is suspicious and she knows some things she has made contact with Jesse so in some ways the cat's out of the bag it's just a different cat it's not the cat that we were expecting. Yeah, and I think Skylar thinks that the cat is out of the bag, right? And Walt thinks that he has gotten her to believe that. It's like a decoy cat. Right, it's a decoy cat. So Walter thinks that he's got the cat in the bag with his situation with Skylar, and Skylar thinks that the cat's out of the bag and that she has the cat back in the bag, I guess. <laughs> and and also in the river uh, by talking to Jesse and getting that situation just done. It, there's a lot of situations that either have been solved, are in the process of being solved, have been solved poorly, or discoveries that have been made in this one. Yeah, it's like Schrodinger's cat in the bag. It's a we don't really massive know. Cats. We don't really know if the cat's in the bag or not. So many cats. If We're... this is confusing at all, I'm sorry. We're talking about a lot of cats. So that's, I don't know. I think the big thing that I wanted to address was the whole wearing the pants thing, because that was something that really jumped out at me. Um, but did anything about this episode in its entirety jump out to you? I mean, just more duality. 
mm-hmm. sort of coming out. Of course, he talked in class about the the chiral uh, nature of some molecules and stuff, so that gives us more duality. Uh, he also is showing us even more sides of himself. There's a side that is sort of this weird kind of assholey uh, pot-smoking malt. It's very different from the weird assholey drug-making malt. Um, it's just a we the the moment in the doctor's office is so strange because they find out the sex of the baby, it's a girl, and he is like moved to tears by this news. Like he's very touched. It's a touching moment for a minute. Um and I feel like a lot of people will blame Skylar for ruining the moment by bringing up Jessie, but I think she's in her complete right to do that. It's totally totally fair of her to ask that because, you know, she found this thug guy that called their house, so I mean, she'd be interested for some reason, and Walt lied about who it was, so obviously he's trying to cover something up, and then Walt doesn't respond like the rational Walt that we know, because I feel like teacher Walt would have been very calm about it, he still would have lied, maybe he would have tried to cover up a little too much like he did with the backhoe guy, but it's just so weird that he just snaps like that. What what sort of stuck out to me in that scene was that he said, Oh, I was definitely hoping for a girl. And Skylar says, will you wait and remember that you said that when she's 16 and starts dating? Of course, we know that Walt won't be around that long. Right. So what he does with that is, again, not tell Skylar, oh, hey, by the way, probably not going to be around for that because I have lung cancer. He instead avoids the situation and like physically distances himself from Skylar at that moment and that's what leads to Skylar sort of thinking back to, hey, something's been up with you, let's talk about it. Because he's not handling anything in a good way. Like, I think it's generally a source of concern. Like, she's just expressing her concern. And I think that that can come across as feeling or seeming naggy. But she really just cares about him, and she just really wants to know what's going on in their relationship. Because you mentioned partnership earlier, and marriage is a type of partnership. It's a different kind of partnership than the one that he has with Jesse, um, but it it is a type of partnership, and and it's like he already is prioritizing his partnership with Jesse over his relationship and partnership with his wife, whom they've been married for at least 16, 17 years, probably, yep. um, if they got married right before Walt Jr. was born, so at least that long. And yet, he's keeping all these secrets. And and I think the most confusing thing is, why is he keeping his cancer a secret? I, I don't know. Because it just seems like a majorly bad move on his part. Because if he brought it up to her, then, you know, they could confront their finances in a realistic way. And actually talk through the problem and figure out solutions. But he hasn't told her about the cancer, and he hasn't told her that... All of their savings are gone, so, I mean, they can't solve the problem. For being a really smart guy, he's kind of an idiot. I just, do you have any ideas about why he wouldn't tell her, other than money? I have no idea except that he just has some major insecurities, some major just personal issues that... Well, and I I think his, sorry, his insecurities, I think, really come from this idea of masculinity again, because he's the the breadwinner of the family. He has a job. Skylar doesn't really have a job. We don't know whether or not she had a job before she got pregnant, but I'm going to say, you know, it's, it's really unclear. She's selling stuff on eBay, so they're desperate for money, and that's all she really can do right now. And I think it's a form, it's a thing of masculinity. He should be able to provide for his family, and the fact that he can't provide for his family is a source of insecurity for him. So he's trying to compensate by finding a way to provide for his family. This way just happens to be illegal, so he can't tell anybody about it. Right. That's my, my that's my uh, best guess. Yeah, the only thing I can come up with is that he just feels like he needs to assert his individuality and independence or something. I don't know. It's not rational, that's for sure. No. Yeah, it's uh, it's bad. The other thing that just stood out to me in this episode is this this guilt that's hanging over the both of them and how clear it is to me that they're both like really torn up about this whole thing and they're both really feeling very guilty to the point of getting paranoid. I don't know what uh, what's going to happen with that, whether we're going to see the effects of that lasting through the whole series or something changing, something snapping where that sort of goes away. Yeah, so... 
I think we're ready to wrap it up. Yeah, I think about so. About now. So things that we are going to be looking up forward. Still pools. No pools in this episode, but it's okay. Maybe next time. No pools. We'll see. Um, I also, in this episode, started taking notice of clothing, which I think is really important and will become important later. Um, not really many insights to make about clothing now, except for that Jesse is wearing yellow, um, which I think that he does a lot. And... I want to know, I want to try and think of what yellow signifies, because I think of it as a very innocent color, but it also is a color of warning. Um, and and the, the plastic bag that could be a murder weapon is also yellow, the same hue of yellow. So I want to keep track of the colors and the clothing, particularly, because I think that those things are really important. And then also, now that I've come across this idea and this point of wearing the pants in the family and masculinity, this is also something that I want to keep track of. And, and how gender and gender roles are really playing into this show because um, I think that, that uh, Walt's masculinity and his ability to provide for his family is really his main motivator. Um, and that's something that I want to keep track of. Yeah, I'm going to keep looking out. I know there are a few more shots where we're looking from underneath something as well as from the previous episode looking out from something usually circular. Um, those are always really good shots. I am also going to look out for the partnership aspect, sort of thinking about how different partnerships are in the show and how they react to different things, what kind of things are contributing to them. Yeah, partnerships, pools, yes. Oh, music as well. I want to pay even more attention to all of the music that is used, especially in important scenes where the music is really prominent. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah the music is very intentional. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to keep a, an ear out for the music in this show some more. All right, so that is all for us discussing Breaking Bad, Season 1, Episode 2, Cats in the Bag. We will return next week discussing And the Bags in the River. Yes, should be very exciting and disgusting. Probably mostly disgusting. <laughs> All right, but thanks. We'll see. Thanks for listening. Bye.